Today's Wednesday, April 26th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 510 features longtime play-by-play voice of the Celtics, John Grandy. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a $200 bonus on your first bet of at least $5 or more. Okay, here we are at Celtics Beat, and uh, boy, I hardly know where to start, honestly, because, uh, well, here's a good place to start. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, Sean Grandy is here, thrilled to have him, and, and guys, uh, I'll, I'll let you dictate, I guess, where I begin from a, 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 a number of different ways. There's, well, one one thing, because I don't even know how to wedge this in, and I, I want to prioritize it, so let me just say this first, uh, our, our uh, condolences to... You, Sean, to all members of the Celtics organization, friends and family and beyond, uh, for the passing just earlier today of Heather Walker, who, uh, a longtime staple of the communications PR department for the Boston Celtics, uh, a, uh, a, a long courageous, uh, battle with glioblastoma and, uh, unfortunately, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, tragically passed away earlier today, just 51 years old. And, uh, there's, there's no, I, I was going to mention this a little bit later on, which is why my my start to this show was a little sort of all over the place because I I just there there's no like there's no uplifting way to talk about this other than obviously uh, Heather for those and Sean I'm sure you knew her quite well but for those who had the opportunity to get to know Heather at all and I knew her just a little bit uh, you know professionally but uh, just always a smile on her face and always a positive energetic spirit and uh and and clearly a, a a loss for anyone that knew her worked with her uh those in the Celtics organization for the past uh I think what uh, almost you know 15 almost 20 years that she was with the team so uh rather than ramble on and on and on and on and on uh Sean I'm sure you have some uh, pretty incredible memories with her I always hesitate to you know kind of go down this road when people hear names you know the, the players and the coaches and the broadcasters were front facing. So we're in your living rooms and we're, you know, you know us and you know our personalities and you know our names. And when we talk about the people who are behind the scenes, sometimes fans, it doesn't click because the names don't mean anything and you don't connect. But when you're part of the organization, you know, had so many people for so many years that are, that Celtics can't go on without them. It didn't seem like we'd go on without Heather. And obviously we've had to since she got sick a couple of years ago and, you know, a brutally difficult day for all of us. And I think us being together and none of us were supposed to be together today, right? The series was supposed to be over. None of us were supposed to get on a plane to fly down here to Atlanta. And in some bizarre way, we all ended up together where we could, you know, share our memories and talk about Heather. And I, you know, I wrote my thing on Twitter today and you guys can, I'm not going to read it here or or go over it, but you realize there are people in the world that just light up a room that, They've raised the temperature of a room and you smile when you think about them. Heather was one of them. And maybe as a way to, you know, to segue into talking about basketball or things that aren't nearly as important as I think about, you know, her, her husband and, and her girls today is, you know, there's a picture I posted. I changed that my picture on Twitter to a picture taken of Heather and myself at Tia's on the wharf about a half an hour after we got off the duck boats in 2008. 
you know, we spent a, a ton of time together over the years and we got very close. And that day we happened to just sort of be hanging out together because there wasn't any more. We'd been all working so hard for so long. There wasn't anything left to do, really. There were, you know, a few bits and pieces. There were, you know, interviews here and there and things. But we were just sitting there spending the time trying to process what had just happened the last few days. And her phone would ring from time to time that day. And it rang as we were standing there talking. And she picks it up. She talks for a minute. She hangs up. She turns back to me and says, that was Jimmy Kimmel's show. They want they want Paul Pierce to come on. And I don't know what in the moment, it in two seconds, I turn back to her with the same goofy smile we all had on her face. And I said, he has to come out in a wheelchair. He has to come out in a wheelchair. And her face lit up. And she got back on the phone. And we know that one turned out. I'm sure millions of people would have thought of it, but we just happened to be the people that were standing there when that call came in. You know, we have that moment of, I thought of that one. I hadn't thought of that in years, and I thought of that one today about, you know, the wheeling Paul out on the Jimmy Kimmel show in the wheelchair after, uh, you know, he had had that in game one of the finals. There's no, you know, we, we find a way to move on. It's in, you know, inconceivable in some ways, someone so young um, who was, again, everyone says, so full of life, but she absolutely was, and she made all of us happier people and the world is you know not quite as happy a place uh without her in it that's simple yeah i uh just and i i, I won't belabor this but my um my immediate memories is it's twofold and again it's it's more professional than personal but uh sort of dovetails with the personal in that uh she was always uh as for people that don't know the celtics uh, i don't know well it, either they don't really go on anymore uh since covid or i just am not included anymore and <laughs> whatever the case but pre-covid uh annually even a couple times a year sometimes the celtics would do media games at the garden or over at the training facility and uh heather was always very kind to include me in those and and uh to you know, I, we were teammates a couple of times and uh, just fun to get out there and and play and horse around and have fun. And uh, and also what what I will always uh, be grateful for, because this is not this. This is uh, people may just assume this is the case. And it, it truly is unique uh, to uh, PR people in 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 such a major sports city when it comes to the professional teams, um, because players, coaches, whomever executives like always very much in demand when you're a team like the Boston Celtics and uh Heather would always call directly or email directly whichever the case to to you know if if she was I mean literally physically like in the car with Kelly Olenek or Jared Sullinger or you know you name it Avery Bradley Tony Allen on the way to a player appearance it would be hey can you make it out we're we're heading out somewhere no, I, I can't get there. I'm at the radio station. Okay, well, do you want me to put them on the phone? You can do something with it. Perfect. Uh, and so just always made athletes who don't always want to be accessible, she always made them accessible, which uh, I, I certainly always appreciated. Uh, but, you know, we, we could do this. We could go on and on and on. Uh, this is why I, I didn't want to save it for the end of the show because – it is, as Sean said, more important than basketball. And, uh, but nevertheless, there's basketball on, on people's minds right now as it relates to, uh, the Boston Celtics and fitting, I, I guess that we, uh, not that people listening will know this, but we come on, we, we're, we start to tape this on the heels of the Bruins falling in overtime. So that series is, uh, you know, heading back, uh, to, you know, it's, it's extending. It's, it's three, two, much like the Celtics series now. And, uh, it, <laughs> The, 
this isn't so much true about the Bruins. A totally different outcome. It wasn't like a poor effort or anything like that on, on the Garden Ice tonight. When it comes to the Celtics and looking back on this most recent loss to the Atlanta Hawks, no DeJounte Murray, Trey Young goes nuts as we know. People saw the game. You read about the game. You know what happened. I don't understand, Sean, and I'm not the first person to say this. I don't understand why the Celtics insist upon making life more difficult for themselves than it needs to be. They're going to win this series. I'm not worried about that at all. But the fact that they couldn't give themselves a couple extra days rest, get to Philly sooner when you've got Joel Embiid playing on one leg and that team banged up, why the, you know, sending you on the heels of a, a trip to Hawaii back to Atlanta, why this all has to continue the way that it is. I think that um, it was, if you had scripted before the game, what's not only the Celtics losing, what's the worst possible way they could lose? That would, you know, you go into the fourth quarter last night and it's hard not to look at the Celtics as the team to beat right now for the whole thing because mm-hmm. of the body of work of the course of the season, because of their depth, uh, you know, winning in five games in the first round as they were on track to do, struggles Milwaukee is having, some of the other teams. And you just you felt better and better about the situation. There hadn't really been anything to jar your faith. Last night was a faith-jarring loss because of the way that they lost, because they simply stopped doing what they had been doing, which was how the games got away last year in the postseason. And when you suffer a setback like that, and then you say, you know what, we have to be better, we have to be better, that's the natural reaction to it. When it happens again, and you say, we're not going to let it happen again. We're going to do all the right things. And then you don't. Now you're kind of messing with the faith of, of the fans. And listen, we're talking now in the heat of the moment, the cold of the moment, or however you want to phrase it with Trey Young making the shot. Maybe this is the rallying point, right? It's always, I tend to be the person that is contrarian for the point that no, it's obvious to see it one way when you're in it. But what if this is the rallying point? What if this is... Once that game got away and Trey Young made that shot, we realized blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's the narrative two or three weeks from now. Maybe the Celtics are up 2-0 a week from now going into Philadelphia. And all this is forgotten and we're kind of chuckling about it. But in the moment, it's important to remember that, you know, there are ebbs and flows to these series and to a postseason. And to lose the way they lose is a vivid reminder that there is no 08 Celtics in this field. There's no you know, 15 Golden State Warriors. There's no dominant teams. There are five or six teams that have been better than the rest this year that can win it all, and they all have some sort of flaw. And the Celtics' flaw seems to be their inability to beat inferior teams, to play the way they play for full games against teams that aren't as good as they are. Yeah, that's fr- what's frustrating is it felt like kind of a game that they, from three quarters – just kind of handled. I mean, I, I've been just keeping track of the points in the paint because it just seems like a layup line night in and night out when it's going well for the Celtics. They're dominating the points in the paint. It seemed like they were controlling the pace of the game. They're getting out in transition, scoring in transition. It felt like a game that Boston really had control over. And it, it felt like to me, Sean, I don't know about you, but it felt like to me, Boston just expected Miami to kind of, not Miami, Atlanta to roll over and die. And I kind of gained a little bit more respect for Atlanta because they didn't. Oh, yeah. You know, Trey has gotten a lot of flack this series for just, you know, having off nights and having off moments. I, I, with DeJounte out, again, everybody was probably counting this Atlanta team out. Trey dragged him and, and, and won a, and stole a game in the garden. And, and if you're, if you're Atlanta and has heard all this talk about, oh, you got to trade Trey Young in the offseason. He's a, 
is he's bad for for basketball, et cetera, et cetera. This was a hey, maybe Trey Young isn't that that bad, and maybe we overreact way too often, way too quickly in certain scenarios. I was just I was really impressed with again as much as I was disappointed in the Celtics execution down the stretch. I still was still super impressed with Trey Young and how he handled himself. And you should have been because playoff series are a mirror. Can't hide, right, over the course of all these games under the spotlight against the same team. The limitations of Don – when you see Donovan Mitchell once every two months, you're like, man, this is the best player in the – he is just – he is amazing. You see the flaws of Donovan Mitchell when a coach gets at him five, six, seven games in a row. Trey Young is exactly what we think Trey Young is and in real life, which is all of these things. People say he's a horrific defender and he's a bad team leader. And he's all, we can see some of that. And then people say, ah, oh, Trey Young's amazing. He's an elite player in the world and he makes big shots and he makes, and you saw that when the game was on the line too. He has, you can be all of those things. That's the entire package of Trey Young. When you see Trey Young over 82 games, you see the flaws and you see the times that he is dominant. And I thought where I don't, I didn't feel as confident as you did during the game last night. I thought, the Hawks played with more physicality. I thought they looked like an undermanned team that was going to give you an honest effort. And when that happens, if both teams give you that honest effort, the better team is going to win. And that's the way it was going for three and a half quarters. And then when the Celtics completely changed playing the way they had played for three and a half quarters, they were essentially, you put Trey Young in a game like that, you are dangling raw meat in front of a lion, right? You, you daring Trey Young to make big plays down the stretch and make big shots. That's the wrong dude to be messing with like that. And it's that, that's what I don't think there's anybody as angry as fans were leaving the building. I don't think anybody left the building in their heart of hearts that wasn't thinking that was the result that should have happened last night, that both teams got what they deserved last night. The difference is though, like I, I think too. We were just talking before we came on about Jimmy Butler's performance against Milwaukee, and and what was one of the better playoff single single individual effort, single game playoff performances that we've seen in recent memory that we've seen ever. Quite frankly, it was that dominating a performance. What was unique about it? It because people always want to talk about choke jobs or you know do you give the 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 ultimately the winning team you know, how much credit do you give them and yada 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 Jimmy Butler it, it's not that the bucks lost that game Jimmy Butler stole that game this game as good as Trey Young was as great as Trey Young was Celtics choked away this game it wasn't that it was stolen away by the Hawks in my view of 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 the way it all played out and again, I'm not, I, I've, I've said it, I'll say it again at some point. I'm not worried about the Celtics losing this series. I'm really not. In fact, I think they're going to go to Atlanta and they're probably going to have a very comfortable dominating win. I, I do believe that because they tend to respond in situations like this. That's, that's a credit to them. That's a testament to them. But the fact that, as Evan put it, they, they went down the way that they did and then sound the way that they sound afterwards sort of the way they sounded at points after the postseason last year and obviously it's so many points throughout the regular season this year or over the last couple of years they just I don't believe Sean that they are you know content with losses like that that they're okay that 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 there isn't this fire burning inside of them that they're not competitors or anything like that but I do think a part of what drives fans nuts and fans out there are pissed is that they come off so even keel, 
so nonchalant. So it happens that it just takes people to another level of anger. I get that. And I know why it comes, but these are the personalities of the guys in the room. You think Al Horford's going to lose his mind in public? And by the way, what you're seeing is in public. And as you guys know, particularly when in the podium setup, you're not in the locker room setup anymore where guys are like still a little bit more fresh and they're at their locker and they have microphones in their face. The, the situation itself is designed to, they literally call it a cooling off period, right? It's a cooling off period before players can speak to the media. There's a reason there's cooling off period, right? Because you're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. You're not seeing guys venting anger. You're not seeing all of it. So some of it is that coming across that way. Some of it is the, the personality of the on the team itself. But sometimes that personality is what makes them successful in the first place. So I get it. As a fan, you want to see somebody throwing chairs and whatever. I'm not sure you want the coach losing his mind. Right now, you want somebody calm at the at the helm of the ship. That's probably the best thing, right, for for everybody. So, I, fans gonna fan, and they should, and you sh- you should be really disappointed about the way that went last night. But I sort of take it, you know, a day later, and a, a flight later, <laughs> I think I was gonna have to take. And I know Scal's been joking about this all day about how he had all his weekend plans in place, and uh, you know everything got uh, everything got tossed aside. All right, well, this is an interesting twist in the story we didn't expect, so I'm very curious to see how they respond. And I'm not into, well, well they're going to win by 20 or they're going to win by – because shots fall they don't fall. But I do almost have to see if the Celtics are who we think they are, that same way they started game four. There was a physicality and a demeanor to the way they started game four. You can't always control whether the shots go in, particularly if you're playing angry or whatever. But you can control the rebounding and the physicality and the decision-making and the spacing offensively and the execution and effort. continue that for 48 minutes. And the point is you can't dictate a 20-point win, but if the Celtics played that way for 48 minutes against this Hawk team, who and the Hawks are going to be better. Of course they're going to be better than they were in Game 6. They've got Murray back, and you've got Sadiq Bey and Jalen Johnson and the younger role players are going to play better at home. That's the way this goes. So the Hawks will be better in game six than they were in game five. But there is significant margin for the Celtics to be better, and they have to be for a variety of reasons. So where to go? Where to go down the stretch? As you said, you know, if if, if nothing else, fans are experiencing a a crisis of faith right now in in where this team goes going forward. You know, I've seen so much on Twitter over, does this team have, you know, a – does it have that 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 championship, whatever the hell, however people have termed it? But you know what I'm getting at. Does it does it have that that fighting spirit? Does it have that will to win? Does it have that championship edge or all these other cliches comparing them to, you know, like people are quick to say, well, the 08 Celtics, you know, the, we they were that much better than this team. And they won seven games with, an inf- you know, a, a different Atlanta team all those years ago, and, and they went the distance in practically all of those series on the way to a championship. I think if there is a saving grace, it's the fact there is, as you said, no dominant team this year. The Celtics are still miles ahead in terms of the betting favorite to win the championship because of of that fact. Like You got Philly banged up. You got Milwaukee possibly on the brink of elimination. You obviously in the Western Conference don't have that that dominant club either. So 
where did it go? Where did where did the Celtics sort of let go of the rope or take their foot off the gas? And is that something going forward that you do worry about? Well, you worry. You would have said this before the game that you don't want to see it again. If you see it again, you should worry about it because this is why you load manage. This is why you rest guys sporadically throughout the course of the year. This is why Jason Tatum got a day off in December. This is why Al Horford didn't play back-to-backs so that when there were six minutes left in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, you could keep playing the way you're supposed to be playing. And listen, it was a uh, comedy of errors is the wrong word because there was nothing funny about it, but it was just a series of individual things. Jason Tatum decisions, you know, Marcus Smart, Max and I have been driving that bandwagon for nine years, right? Amidst the vitriol that you talk about online against Marcus Smart, which to me was just outrageous slander. And for Marcus of all people to have a game like that was, it was, it boggled the mind that he, you know, you'd have mistakes like that. And by the way, we can sit here if we're, if the Celtics just make their free throws, we're not having any of these conversations. And I'm not sitting with a hotel room behind me. I'm sitting, you know, at home because they missed free throws. Or because Al made a play where he instinctively caught the ball in the paint and kicked out to the wing for a three when there was literally nobody behind him. Like the paint was not like Capella had missed his assignment. Capella or Okongwu in that spot had missed their assignment. Nobody was between Al and the basket and didn't even look at it. What about that? What about the missed free throws? What about uh, the uh, moving screen on Smart? Smart making the diving play for the foul in the final, fouling Trey Young when he's over the limit. He never makes mistakes like that, ever. When it's situation, the situation is in his head, ingrained like the Matrix, about the other teams in the bonus, and this is what Trey Young's going to do, and he's 40 feet away from the basket, and he's the last person you'd ever expect to commit that foul. So they were just completely out-of-character mistakes. But again, when you step back and you say you're not worried about the series, look at the horrific six minutes that Celtics put together. Look at the fact that the Hawks made have one of their best nights shooting that they have had in the 87 games they played this year, and they made 19 threes out of 40, whatever, and they're not a good three-point shooting team. Look at all the things that went their way, and they needed Trey Young to make a 30-foot shot to win the game. That's the disparity right now uh, between these between these two teams. Yeah, the OA comparison. You want another comparison more recent that I, I don't know if anyone's brought this one up or not, but Miami – Beat San Antonio in what 2013, right? And 2013, 2013, LeBron's third year. Spurs came back next year and beat the hell out of everybody. They carried that finals loss with them all year. They were determined to win and they did. They went seven in the first round against Dallas. And after they got through that, I think they lost, Ime was on that staff. I think they lost two or three games the rest of the way. So there's certainly precedent beyond the 08 Celtics for teams that struggle in the first round to go on and play better. And the, this Celtics team this year, not so great against the middle of the pack teams in the league. Dominant against the best teams. Lots more coming up uh, with respect, obviously, this conversation, the future of the Celtics this season and this series. But uh, a special announcement, uh, because I don't think we've, I know we haven't mentioned it yet in this show. I don't know if Evan mentioned it last week when I was nope. away. But uh, starting, uh, starting well, right now, this week, yep. uh, thanks to our great presenting sponsor of this program, we will be doing two shows a week uh, for at least the duration of the playoffs and, and maybe even longer than that, depending on how things go. So, uh, Evan, why don't you tell uh, our, our kind listeners, viewers, good friends about what's going on here? Yeah, Kaufman, twice a week now. We made it. Twice a week. Twice a week. And, uh, you know, I was... 
Speaking of gambling lines, I, I with the Celtics were up three one, the Bruins were up three one. Patriots owner Bob Kraft goes to both those games at the Garden, and all of a sudden, both series are sitting at three two. So I don't know if he has a, a plan to it, you know, a trip to Atlanta planned or to Florida. Uh, I I'm I'm going to need to know a line on these games if, in fact, he's in attendance. I'm concerned. Probably fixated on the NFL draft, though. Probably. All I'm going to point out is he might be the bad luck guy, like Celtic Pride. He might be. Yeah, where the problem lies because they they look, you know, it's, it's the proofs in the pudding at this point. Yeah, things were going well before before Bob showed before up. Bob, Bob showed up. Bob. Yeah, yikes! He's had a lot of good luck though. I'll be honest about that. Sean, you mentioned that fans are going to fan, and they uh, they are. And, fan- uh, by the way, you said all these fans are talking about on Twitter. Do yeah. they have blue check marks now? Uh, oh, we that, is that it? So. Let Did me you, see if I get this straight. Elon Musk you, is smarter than all the rest of us. Right. And he didn't figure out that by instituting this policy, now you've the exact opposite is true. If you have a blue check mark, you paid for it. Correct. And you're not a quote unquote verified person. And it's, those people don't have the credit. So if I paid for it, if somebody paid for it, they paid for it to seem like they were whatever, right? Verified or had some important on the same plane as the people that got verified. Then you took all those verifications away. So now what am I paying for? Well, now we don't know if it's really you. Right. I've, I I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> and the Celtics, by the way, are losing games now since I lost my blue check mark. Yeah. A buddy, a buddy of mine, because I, I noticed, I noticed after I lost my check mark that I noticed that he had one still. And so naturally I called him out for paying for it. And he told me that he actually paid for it months ago. He did the Twitter blue because you can post like 10 minute videos. videos or and, yeah. 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 I just think well, it's, it's weak. I, I, I don't need it. I don't need you know, it. Unless I, you have I a million followers, money. you get, you have to pay for it. If you have a million followers, you don't pay for it. So Sean, you're almost there. I think. Yeah. Almost. You're on the cusp. I'm, I'm good. I'm good right now. Uh, so you, you were, you were talking about fans and fans having the, the typical fan reactions. I woke up to a flurry of texts this morning, uh, mostly rooted in fire Joe Missoula, uh, which, uh, which, which was Need better just, friends, Kaufman. This is killing me. I, I just found, I found humorous too on, on the day that Ime Odoka was introduced as the new head coach of the Houston Rockets. So that's yeah, another. Anybody, there was anybody saying fire Ime last year? Was there any of that? Uh, well, for the first half of the season, there was quite a bit yeah, of it. Yeah, there was. It, it, it sort Funny of, about uh, that. It, it, it petered off a little bit. Uh, but, um, look, I am, I am, when it comes to coaching in the NBA, one, I believe it's when, when you have a contending team, when you have the talent of a contending team, I think coaching is, is generally overblown and overrated. Uh, I think it's a bigger deal when you're more of a middle of the pack or a team that is in the process of rebuilding. So that's just my outlook on coaching in the league to begin with. Uh, but next to all of that, I'm not going to pretend I know enough about basketball to be a head coach in the NBA. So I cannot say, Joe Missoula, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Uh, from a, all the different tactical angles that, that some people out there seem to think they can do. But what I can do is ask questions. And I don't think Joe is doing a bad job, Sean. I don't think he's doing a stellar job either. Uh, I think ultimately, Player performance is what's going to drive the ship, good or bad. I think that's just the way it works. But I do wonder sometimes about the guard rotation. I do wonder about 
whatever is happening with Grant Williams and the fact that he's he's not really seeing any minutes in this series, if he's in the doghouse or if this truly is strategic, if, if it is strategic, I don't really understand it. I would just love it explained to me. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering where a lot of the fan vitriol comes from other than it's just easy to point at and blame the coach when something goes wrong. Well, that's it. That's the easiest thing, right? Like, has Jason Tatum been the best player in the series? Has he been close to being the best player in the series? Mm-hmm. That's that's issue number one, right? <laughs> like regarding the Celtics, is Jason Tatum hasn't been great yet. I remember a very similar narrative before last year's Game Six in Milwaukee. Well, Jason Tatum hasn't been great. He hasn't been the best player of the series, and then he played the best game of his life and saved the season and ended up winning a series for the Celtics in that you know in that sixth game. I think everyone talks about the Celtics as being the best team one through nine. And they are. Look at that roster, one through nine. These are elite players, one through nine. That's all well and good until you're the coach who's got to pick five to play in the fourth quarter. And the reality is you have Smart, you have White, you have Brogdon, you have Brown, and you have Tatum. Five players you would want to have on the floor in the fourth quarter. You can't have them on the floor in the fourth quarter. You can't play Jason Tatum at center unless there's some absolutely outrageous, bizarre circumstance that allows you to do it. You can't do it. So somebody's going to have to sit. And that's going to be game situation and situation a lot. My only thing about it is I, my individual take, which I said during the game last night, if you don't say it in real time, I don't think you get to say it the day after. I'm not that interested in seeing any more minutes in the series where Trey Young is on the floor and Derek White is not. Um, I would like to not see any more of that. If I were, that's about the only uh, uh, observation I would make, you know, it's so funny. Everyone just goes, where are the double bigs? Where are the double bigs? Where are the double bigs? Then you play the double bigs and they do well. And they've done well in game four of the series. The double bigs was a major problem last night with the spacing and the offense stalling. So everything has its, you know, circumstance to be used, but it's, it's great to have the deepest team one through nine until you're the guy that has to pick five, the exact right five to play, because that is a difficult, you know, that's a difficult poker hand to, to choose. You know, I just don't understand why it's, I mean, I, I get why people are quick to blame Joe, but if you really sit back and think about it, what are, what are the complaints? The complaints are uh, the guard rotation minutes are just rotation minutes in general, only at the end of games and like player effort, because if, if it comes down to adjustments and is Joe Missoula making the proper adjustments, I think for the first five games we've seen Joe's doing a pretty good job adjusting to whatever, you know, Atlanta's doing. There was that spurt during the third third game of the series where, you know, Quinn Snyder tried some different things with DeJounte and with Trey to get them both going, and right, it worked. Uh, Joe did a great job of pivoting in the, you know, fourth quarter, but it was just a little bit too late at that point um, with the way things were going. I mean, Trey and DeJounte both hit tough shots at the end of that game. DeJounte three in the corner on the left side. Uh, it went in. I couldn't believe it went in, but it's one of those nights where they've seen a lot go in, and every once in a while a ridiculous one goes in. But, uh, like, I just don't get – I mean, it's his first year doing this. They have an incredibly good record. They've beaten a lot of very good teams. I I think people are just quick to bail on Joe because it's just the easiest thing that you could possibly do. It is. Do. Whereas, you know, um, like it, it, Tatum has played okay. Uh, but, you know, some other guys have, have carried him along. I think Jalen's done a really good job since taking the mask off. He's been ridiculous. But I, I think we often will blame the coach – and I, 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 yeah, I think throughout the entire season it's been a little weird with Joe. And I, I think 
Sean, you've done a good job probably trying to defend him throughout the entire season. I think, again, it's just misplaced. Joe's doing a fine job. It's not going to be Joe's fault to lose the series. Yeah, it's not going to be. And I'm not like the defending him is just when I, I tend to be, again, contrarian. When I, you know, this, oh my God, fire Joe, really? I mean, come on. I, if you want, you want to be angry, be angry, but that's not a rational argument, uh, considering where this guy was on September 26th and what he was thrown into. Somebody said to me, I did, uh, I hope you guys are okay. I do other podcasts from time to time. I don't, I, don't I mean, we don't love it. We're, 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 hey, listen, we're, you know, we're working on our relationship and so yeah. exclusive <laughs> one day, but I got to ask the question, man, Joe really hurt himself by, you know, having that great start, right? Setting that bar so high. And I'm like, nope, just the opposite. Can you imagine if this team, instead of starting 21 and five, had started 12 and 14? It would have been brutal from the start. It would, this would have been going on all year. Um, you know, I, we don't know Joe yet. And I said, Joe could very easily be the next Spolstra, right? But Eric Spolstra, by the way, forgetting his first couple of years, you remember the stuff when LeBron got there? Oh, LeBron's going to get Spolstra fired and he doesn't like Eric Spolstra. And, and now we know Spolstra's a Hall of Fame coach. Come back down from the front office. Yeah. Right, all this, exactly. All that stuff was going on back then. That'll be the, the Miami Heat. HBO winning time, right? When we get to that <laughs> in 10 years after they get through the Laker one and they figure somebody, you can have Adrian Brody could be like 70 years old, still playing Pat Riley in the, <laughs> in the, in the Miami sequel. By the way, I know it's, it's like a verboten thing to be someone in the, in the league who watched winning time or says nice things about it. I loved it. it was <laughs> I fun. thought it was a blast. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. it I mean, it was if you... fun. It was camp. No, it wasn't a documentary. Right. No one took its, Stop taking it so seriously and enjoy it for the camp that it was. And it, oh, they made Jerry West look like it was. It's a cartoon. Like yeah. enjoy it. It was fun. It was a period piece. You know, for if you were a really young kid at that time, it was anyway. It was cool to say that's my little digression on that because I'm tired of talking about people saying fire Joe Mazzula when we don't know what kind of coach he's going to be. And I always find it interesting. What if Joe and Will Hardy had swapped places? Right. Cause that easily could have happened. Mm-hmm. Right. What if Danny hires Joe in Utah and Will Hardy's the coach here? Exact same stuff would be, exact same stuff would be happening. People just don't know him yet. It's easy. Just like fire when they started 500 a year ago when they had been 500 under Brad the year before. It's the easy narrative. People, particularly here, and it's a Boston thing too. When you point out the fact that the Knicks, as we're talking, the Knicks just won their first playoff series. Since they beat the Celtics 10 years ago. Yeah, the Knicks got to the second round before the Celtics. And isn't this amazing for the Knicks? I thought it was really cool that Mike Breen, it was just a fluke that Turner had all the games tonight. So there was no ESPN. So Breen got, Mike got to call that game for the Knicks on MSG Network. Just for perspective, as Celtics fans feel sorry for themselves that, oh my God, the Knicks won a playoff series. The Celtics have won 10 playoff series since the Knicks last won theirs. <laughs> Over the last six or seven years, the Celtics have won more playoff games than about eight, nine, ten teams combined. And well, it doesn't mean anything if you don't win the championship. Okay. I'm glad your kids all get A pluses. I'm glad you've lived a perfect life and are, you know, are in the 99th percentile of all things. But the Celtics are up in the series. You know, the Bucks will probably win tonight and they're still down 3 2 in their series. Celtics are up 3 2 in their series. And as bad as it was, we're losing our mind because they lost the playoff game. And 
still have a chance to go into, you still have a chance to do some serious damage and still have a chance to win this thing. But obviously, as we talk now, it was a rough night and it was one bad day. But let's see where it goes from here. If game seven goes down, I think I told you guys, I told everybody at the start of the series, if the Celtics have a difficult seven game series with Atlanta, then maybe they're not the team we thought they were. But then again, I didn't think Milwaukee was going to have a difficult seven game series or potentially lose to, uh, to Miami either. It's an interesting year, isn't it? When we're talking about load management mm-hmm. and the devaluing of the regular season, which is a major problem right now in the NBA, the devaluing of the regular season. Here we are talking with the team with the best record down three one, the team with the best scoring differential. Lost a home game, so people went crazy, and they're up 3-2 in the Celtics. The team with the second-best scoring differential, the top teams in the league. Memphis is down in their series. They were an elite team all year in the regular season. Cleveland, elite team in the regular season all year, gone. This is a problem. This is the manifestation of the cheapening of the regular season. It's not a coincidence that so many that never had a year where so many of the top teams in the regular season were in trouble or eliminated in the first round. Well, so that's and this will be the last thing for me, Evan. I don't know if you have anything else, but to, to that end, does it surprise you quite how wide open it is after the way that we talked during the regular season, where a lot of the conversation on this show was, man, if you get the Cavs in the playoffs, that's kind of a scary matchup. The way these teams played in the regular season, Bucks are always going to scare the crap out of you, obviously, because of Giannis and you know Cleveland's now done. Uh, Knicks, at least coming into the series, didn't scare anybody. Hawks didn't scare anybody. Heat, you know, most people would certainly take the Heat before the Bucks, and yet you watch the way this series has gone, and at least there's a part of me anyway that says, man, I think I'd – there's a part of me that would rather have Milwaukee than, than face Miami just because Jimmy this time of year legitimately scares the crap out of me in ways that for some weird reason, because Giannis is obviously the better player – for some weird reason, there Giannis doesn't scare me in quite the same way that Butler scares me in, you know, playoff Jimmy Butler, the superstar that that he is this time of year. It seems like every single year, just folk and and obviously Philly being Philly and the injury to Joel Embiid, just the Eastern Conference, the fact that it's playing out the way that it is right now, does it surprise you? No, because injuries change it. Number one and number two. We've been talking about this. I actually think Scal and I, some of our TV games in March, we talked about the specter of Memphis and Sacramento having these great regular seasons. When when crunch time comes, the Lakers, if they're healthy, and Golden State getting healthy, those are the experienced veteran teams that just happen to be lower seeds. So I think the West was set up to be a either a thrilling, wide open roller coaster or a dumpster fire, depending on how you how you view it. But the West was always set up this way. And I think if we look carefully, Cleveland, one of the reasons the regular season always mattered, you could always go to scoring margin, net rating, as being the best indicator historically, which is why everybody loved Cleveland, all the simulation machines, everything loved the Cavs, because it was based on scoring margin and net rating in the regular season. But they were healthy in the regular season, number one. And the regular season has never meant less. Now, Dissect it up into the last – look at the teams over the last third of the season. Celtics were really, really good. The Knicks were really, really good after the Josh Hart trade. The Knicks played better than the Cavs down the stretch. This is a 5-4 matchup that I think the Knicks could win the series. Absolutely. I think they'd win it as easily as they did in five. No, I didn't. 
But I've never been, when you phrase this, when I say I don't like Donovan Mitchell, I, I'm saying it, I don't like him as much as other people do in the Matthew Berry sense of the word. Like, I love Donovan Mitchell, but other people like him more. If there were an NBA draft of getting a player on your team, I wouldn't end up with Donovan Mitchell because other people like him more than I do as far as a playoff series go-to guy because of his size, because of a lot of reasons. So Donovan Mitchell getting exposed by Tom Thibodeau over five games, maybe we shouldn't have been a surprise. Uh, The irony of that whole storyline, right? Donovan not going to New York, the Knicks dropping the ball, ending up with Jalen Brunson, and Jalen playing like a man with something to prove. Randall's played like a guy with something to prove. That injury could be significant. Um, and the Josh Hart thing really kind of galvanized that team. Mr. Robinson's healthy, and he looks like right there with Rob Williams. Uh, the things he's doing with Rob did for the Celtics in the playoff run last year. So I don't think any of this is going to happen because I'm of the belief Max is completely against me. I don't know if you guys are too. I believe firmly that Milwaukee is going to come back and win this series in seven games. I feel strongly about it, so I don't think the Knicks are going to win. That said, the specter, thin as it may be, of the Celtics and Knicks in the conference finals at the same time as the Bruins and the Rangers. Oh, man. The fact that we, the fact that we can t- actually say that, and it's not some, you know, you can do whatever you guys do on, on, your, on your gambling sites, right, and figure out what the odds are that you can bet on that. I don't know, but it exists. It's in the ether. It's not the craziest thing in the world. I mean, the the Amtrak corridor is going to come off its hinges if that happens. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I don't know if I could share your optimism in the Bucks beating the the, the Heat in three straight. They're all, the, as we are continuing this recording, it's halftime, sixty nine, sixty three bucks. And I, I watched this the other night where Jimmy just kept them around long enough for someone to get hot in the fourth quarter and to help them out. And if it's going to happen again, I know, just... here's the thing, Evan. We, the Celtics, there was a real jarring loss of their cloak of invincibility last night. I don't think, and I think Celtic fans know it especially because the Celtics, Celtic fans saw all three games against Milwaukee this year. So if you're a Celtics fan and you watch those games, you don't think the Bucks are all that, obviously, because the Celtics dominated them in the two games. Then the third game, they almost beat them with everybody sitting out. So the Celtics Bucks regular season series was a mismatch this year. Yeah, but I was so, yeah. that doesn't mean anything because it's during, that's the stupidest. I, this is what I hate about this. So people see it, so they're not going to, you know, why did the Celtics not finish with the best record? Because Milwaukee won twenty in a row in the middle of the year, and that that's what happened. They are. I said October fifteenth. I thought the only team that could beat the Celtics four times in a seven game series was Milwaukee. I felt that way on April fifteenth. Uh, I do think the Celtics are uniquely. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying they're the team that has the best chance. And I, you know, that's, I can't change everything I believe for six months because the Celtics had a bad six minutes. Yeah. Right. As jarring as it was, you just can't, that's not how you, you just can't come off your convictions or what everything tells you over six months in six minutes. I, you know, I feel pretty strongly when I stay true to that. I, I think for all as good as Phoenix looks, I believe strongly that the players Phoenix needs would need to beat the Celtics or the Buck to beat an Eastern Conference team in a best of seven series. They traded to the Nets. You give me Phoenix with Bridges and Cam Johnson with Durant and that group, that that's the best team in the league. But they had to give up those guys. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have, but they the guys they need to win, I think they gave up. But Great. you know, the NBA finals, 
we've already seen Giannis get hurt. We've seen Embiid get hurt. The finals are six weeks, six, seven weeks away. Who knows <laughs> what twists and turns is, you know, are going to happen in the playoffs. And there's going to be a significant injury that we don't know right now that's going to change the course of this. Have you freed up your schedule to make sure you're available for all road games? Funny you should ask. Uh, uh, the question is, well, this isn't a, that, that big a thing anymore, right? Because NBC Boston is done after right. this week, after all that. And it is kind of funny the way that worked out. I kept asking for a month after doing all the road games this year, asking them if they were good for game. You good? Everybody good? Good for three and four? Good, 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 good. Because Showtime has some options on me. For By the way, uh, I did turn down Showtime. Uh, optioned me for an event and on May 5th. I'm not sure what the date was. It would have been game six. It's game six of the second round. And I turned it down because I'm not going to miss game six of the second round. But I thought, you know, maybe missing one game, trying to make everybody happy. So it wouldn't be the end of the world if I missed a game in the first round of the playoffs. Plus, John Wallach has done it. I thought John Wallach deserved a playoff game because he's he, he had to do 25, 28, whatever the number of games this year because I did all those games on TV. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that ended up being a – but, again, load management and injuries. What did I say? We didn't expect Mike <laughs> to not be able to travel, right? Yep. An injury you didn't expect affected the Celtics broadcast. There it is. In the playoffs. You can't – and we have – this is what we talked about, why this was my favorite year in Celtics broadcasting ever because we demonstrated that between me, Mike, Scal, and Eddie, and Abby, and Max, that we're all completely interchangeable. We have this extraordinary depth. Yet sometimes that depth – gets tested right mm-hmm. well listen we're gonna even though you're not going to be sliding over to tv for the future rounds that this team plays we're still going to need you on the radio call going forward so uh free up that schedule as best you can glad you've already done that for the latter part of round two hopefully there will be rounds three and four and and uh and a parade at the end of it in an ideal world that's what we're hoping for but first uh Maybe take game six. Maybe the Celtics go out, win game six in Atlanta, set themselves up for Philadelphia, get a battered Joel Embiid in the Sixers and get that series started. And uh, like Evan and I talked about, we'll be doing this a couple times a week. So we will be able to react before that series with Philly uh, does begin because I do believe it is going to begin. People will listen to this and tell me I'm a jinx if it goes seven or something like that. But nevertheless, it's what I believe. Sean, thank you as always for hopping on with us. Uh, late night is, uh, it's perfect. Evan's at home. He's, 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 he's dressed down. He's away yeah, from yeah. work. You got the, yeah. you got the hint on the, the shirt type to uh, compliment. You got, you and I are wearing an identically designed shirt. I, yeah, I, I didn't, energy. I, I've got you like on this other screen. So I didn't even realize it. What jersey are you wearing, Sean? It's not. It's just a shirt. It's just a shirt. Oh, you're no, talking Sean. about John. What does he yeah. got? This is a, uh, Jackie Robinson, Kansas City Monarchs. Monarch. Love that. You know what? I think I got that back here. You yeah. think you also have a Monarchs jersey? No. I want uh, the one I want. I've been hinting for my wife. She hasn't gotten a hint in several years. I have been, I've been hinting for the Jackie Robinson Montreal Royals. That's the one I want. I got this team photo of the 1941 Kansas City Monarchs just hanging out back here. I like that. I, I actually who gave me this, but I was like, Satchel Page is in this photo. Buck Leonard. That's awesome. I do have a Jackie Ro- Obviously, it's it's not you know, from, from way back in the, you know, forties or whatever, but I do have a, a Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodgers Jersey hanging in the closet. So, you know, had I gotten the memo, we, we could address the same, but that's all right. Well, 
we thank people for being out there listening watching enjoying hopefully and uh if you're still with us after however long it's been kudos to you and we'll do this again uh in a few days here to hopefully preview round two and not uh talk about some sort of epic round one collapse but uh let let us hope for evan for sean i'm adam thank you uh to all of you again we'll see you later